Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company, where we discuss the business of writing with a focus on horror. Uh, we're back to doing roundtables, so let's meet our roundtable panel for today. Hi, I'm Bill Snyder. I write horror poetry and stuff and eat lots of cookies. Hello, I'm Monica S. Kubler, managing editor of Rumorg Magazine and author of the Blood Magic Saga. I'm Crystal Bork, author of the Book of Eve series, and you can find me at www.everythingstemporary.com. I'm Sephra Jerome, and I'm a horror writer, and I'm currently writing the Witch Upon a Star series, and I also have, I'm working on a space opera romance adventure series on Patreon. And I'm Andrew Robertson. I'm a fanboy, co-host, and co-producer of this podcast with all these awesome people. So today... Our topic is diversifying yourself as a writer. Uh, we know that it continues to be incredibly challenging to be a writer uh, with the current climate uh, between publishers closing, starting up, um, all the different uh, ways that you can publish yourself. You've got EPUB, you've got self-publishing, you've, uh, you've got people working for free, which is one of the biggest challenges. So let's start with this question. What's the biggest challenge facing writers today? Who's going to take this one? Everyone's looking at me <laughs> completely <laughs> stunned. Um, because I, I think when I say what's the biggest challenge, it's not one. I mean, there's, there's, several, there's several issues challenging writers that are looking to make a living at being a writer. So, Sephra? Um, definitely uh, the... The landscape has changed over the last few years for being a writer. Um, you will see a lot of writers complaining about how we're still getting paid about the same as we were 100 years ago. And right now the challenge is, even though the new electronic um, ways have provided us lots of freedom and ways to create um, with our imaginations and output books, anyone can write a book and publish it now. This creates an issue as well because some people should not be doing that. And what's happening is uh, the smaller indie publishers and even some of the bigger ones are requiring that people write entire books before um, they will take them. Whereas in the old days, you used to write, send in an outline, a couple of chapters, they give you a check for a few grand, and off you go and write a book for a year. And uh, I know this does still exist for a lot of you know authors that are you know bestsellers and such. But for the rest of us, um, I used to be considered a midlist writer. Now I'm not sure what I am because I'm desperately trying to survive while writing books for free in hopes that one day they'll earn me royalties down the way. So these are some of the challenges. It's the money just hasn't been going up with uh, the cost of living. So let's let's look at vanity publishing and self-publishing. How has that affected um, the the livelihood of writers that are working with publishers um, or professional writers that have turned to self-publishing because it does have such a bad reputation because of the quality or the integrity of what people are pushing through because they can. Um, what, what sort of comments do you have on how that affects well, I writers? Th I think the field has gotten really crowded, so how do you get your book out there in front of eyes when there are dozens upon dozens of new books coming out every single day from both major presses, you know, smaller presses, and then, you know, all the self-publishing folks? 
whether you know they be good and professional or not. It's just it's like a deluge of books, and how do you find an audience, you know, amongst that deluge? I mean, even if you look at something like um, Sam Hain, which uh, you know they, they're pretty much going under now, but for a year or two there with their new horror line, they put out something like 120 titles, maybe it was even more. And you figure back when Don Don Doria, who was the editor at that time, um, when he was editing for Leisure, I think what they have, like maybe 24 books a year, maybe. Um, so that's changed too, talking about deluge. <laughs> you know, like, boom. Um, uh, was another thing I sort of wanted to mention is, because you were mentioning vanity versus self-publishing and such. Um, I, I've been working for iUniverse for about 11 years and as a developmental editor. And I have to say, work has been very slow the last four or five years for developmental, well, for my department. Um, and it's and I noticed because I've been exploring other ways for myself to earn a living because even freelance editing has slowed down, and so I, I'm going on places like Guru and Fiverr and uh, uh, some of these other places, and people will edit your book for five bucks. So this is also cutting into writers because I'm not the only one. Many writers for years and years have. Um, used editing as a way to get by and now if you can get an editor for five bucks why would you pay 500 now that's actually a, a good place to jump into quality because there are a lot of people just pushing out uh, self-published work with no editing no sense of quality control and, uh, and it, it's great that there's a lot of people out there that are so confident <laughs> that they're certain that their work or is, is uh, or misguided, as Zach says. That's totally fair comment. Um, but what should people be doing before they push their work out there? What, what type of editor should they be looking for? And what qualifications should you demand before you pay someone to edit your work that's going to be going up online and should should be of a certain quality. I always ask the editor who else he's who else he or she has edited. You know, I want an editor that is that has some sort of track record and you know perhaps some authors or some books that I recognize amongst, you know, the roster of people they've worked with. Um, I also think cost if if they're going to charge you, you know, 1 cent per word and the total amount seems rather low, you know, to me, I don't know that I'm going to get my money's worth or the value worth. Um, so I'm of the opinion that, you know, you have to pay for good quality editing services. Um, so cost is a factor to me as well. Now, Crystal, you self-published uh, Easter Fetch, right? Yes. So what were some of the steps that you took leading up to that self-publishing that may help some of our listeners understand what they should be doing before they pay someone to publish the book? Because anyone in publishing, you know, if you say, oh, here, publish this, I want this book to happen, they'll publish it. They're not going to proofread it. They're not going to look at it. <laughs> right. Um, so what I actually did was I signed up for the Humber's, Humber College Mentorship Program. Um, so it's, I mean, it's it can be costly, but I basically got one-on-one -on -one with uh, an author who um, have turned into my mentor, um, and, uh, you know, we worked through the entire novel. Um, by the end of the course, I had my novel. And after 
that, um, you know, I made final edits, but then I also, you know, started sending it out to other readers and other people to get more feedback on it. And then finally, um, sort of one last copy edit, um, I went through Kirkus reviews for the last edit. I did just like a copyright to make sure, you know, punctuation, grammar, all that good stuff is in place. Um, so, I mean, I, I self-funded myself and I think I got a pretty good product from it. Now, for our listeners, Humber College is a, uh, a college in Toronto um, that, that covers a lot of different... Like they've got comedy, they've got writing, they've got marketing, they've got business programs. But uh, Kirkus, for some people that don't know, can you tell them what that is? Um, Kirkus is sort of like a it's a magazine that does reviews for um, for writers. Um, some people have mixed feelings on Kirkus um, based on the types of reviews that they do, but mainly because you can you can pay them to get a review. Um, but I found their editorial services to be really great and really professional. Um, and if you can get in with Kirkus and sort of get on their, their good list and they like what you do, um, it is actually really helpful for your sales because they'll, they'll print that review that, you know, five stars and that automatically gets you some eyes on your book. Okay, so that outlines some of how you're getting your work into existence. Um, now, what we're looking about, you know, our topic today is diversifying yourself as a writer because of the number of challenges that writers have in this economy. So how do you ensure that you have a steady income as a writer? And don't all laugh out loud. <laughs> Get another job. Income, what's that? <laughs> what, let, let's go around the room, maybe, and everyone can identify what they do and what they write. So I'll, I'll start. Um, I, I work a government job and I write in the time that I find in the evening and the weekends. Um, but I'm, I'm far from established and there's a lot more established writers in this room than me. Uh, so let's start with Zach. Um, well, I am a computer geek who works in a company and I do the purchasing for their stuff. Uh, my writing is generally more lyrical and poetic, but at the same time I also have my own radio show. Uh, I don't make money on my writing right now, it's more just to start laying the groundwork to build upwards towards. Alright, Monica. Um, well, obviously I'm very blessed, I work in the genre as managing editor at Rumorg. Um, but, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I did in the past, because right now I have a toddler and all my free time is devoted to either her or working on my own fiction at this point. But in past years, before I had my baby, I would pretty much, if I was, if I was freelancing, I would do anything. I would do freelance editing. I would write corporate copy for websites. I would do pretty much any writing job that anyone winged at me, you know, even if it wasn't genre, you know, any sort of nonfiction, I'd write articles, I'd, you know, pitch magazines. So, you know, if you can do other forms of writing other than just writing fiction, you know, if you can kind of, if you've got some journalism skills or something, there's definitely places that you can pitch to and, you know, get a little bit, I mean, a lot of that is dried up now with the economy and whatnot. But there are still magazines out there, and there are still, you know, websites that do pay for freelance writers. Well, I think that that is so specifically important to this discussion, because as horror writers, 
Um, you're already dealing with a niche market. It's it's obviously not always mass market, unless you're uh, Stephen King or one of the other big names in in the industry. Uh, exactly. I was wondering the same thing. I was told to say that. Um, <laughs> if you're not if you're not a big name, then chances are you are putting things together so that you can attend conventions and write and uh, and find time to to create work that's going to be published. Um, so, Crystal. Yes. So. Um... I have done technical writing, so I decided to go more uh, software route just because at the time in Toronto, the market was really booming and there was a lot of work for that. Um, I've recently uh, moved over into freelance writing, which is more I'm finding um, there's actually a lot of work for content, so blogs, um, website content, and kind of bordering marketing a little bit. so I've had some success there, and then um, that also frees up the rest of my time to work on on my my fiction writing. Is this something uh, where you have to go to a certain place, you know, like go into an office and do a nine to five, or have you found a way to do it sort of like from a consultant perspective? Yeah, I'm more of a consultant, and it's very deliberate that way because I get to make my own hours, I get to make my own time, um, and then, you know. I sort of get to push back a little bit more than a regular employee would. Um, so it really does give me the time, you know, if a morning I want to work on my fiction, I'll work on my fiction and do, then do my uh, client's work in the afternoon and, you know, vice versa. Okay, and Sephra, you're a writer that has come from an, an age where people could make a living as a writer yep. to having to adapt to this sort of new economy. So what what have you done to adapt to the new economy? Let's call it the sharing economy of, <laughs> of writing um, and being and being satisfied and happy with that lifestyle. Yeah, um, that's the key for me right now is that I am happy, um, even though I'm really dreadfully broke and I'm single but I'm happy and on some level except till I can pay the rent or not um so I've uh, I'll just go back like for six months maybe of what my life is like the jobs I have I have several jobs because I have ADD (laughs) um so I have three jobs at a local college I've had them for about three years one is to be a proctor one is to clean CPR mannequins in the dark of night. And uh, the third one is patient acting. Yes, I'm Kramer. And uh, I love those three jobs, and I wish they were every week. It's but. actually really interesting <laughs> because, you know, despite the fact that that in your history as a writer, you know, you've had mass market paperbacks out there, you also have, like, a really curious and interesting way of making ends meet right now. I mean, how many people can say that they're a living medical mannequin? (laughs) I know. That's me, the mannequin girl. Yeah, and then not only that, but, um, you know, I am a tarot reader, as most people know, that know me, who know me, and uh, that was something I I started doing in my uh, mid-30s after my first divorce, because I needed a part-time job. Um, I didn't want to go 
leave the kids with a sitter because I wanted to raise my own kids. So I figured that was a way I could also make money on the side. So I took tarot classes for three years. And that is something I do on the side. I just started a new platform thing on Fiverr. I thought I swore I'd never go to Fiverr, but now I'm desperate and I am. And I'm doing tarot readings through Fiverr. Um, and I also have a Patreon page, which I get money for that a little bit. I've self-published some books, so I get little royalties for that. And I'm waiting for a call from Census Canada so I can be a census enumerator again, like I was five years ago. Uh, and I'm really counting on that part-time job, but it's not looking good since the census is out and they haven't called me. And yeah, so I just, I try to do jobs. Well, I, I, I'm not above doing crappy jobs. I've done a lot, a lot of jobs that I hated every minute and cried all the way to work and back. Um, but yeah, and I, I do need to add a couple more jobs or get more tarot work or something because uh, it's frightening times when you're a single woman over 50. It's a very tough economy and a very tough city to live in when you uh, don't have any savings or anything because I'm a writer. <laughs> no, it's definitely a, a challenging industry. And, and I think over the course of, of this podcast, we have identified that there's, there's a lot of challenges facing writers. So I, I think it's very important for our listeners to realize if, if you do like a writer, reach out and purchase their books. Don't, don't download them. Don't, don't pull anything off for free because they're not going to be able to afford to keep writing for you. Um, so that actually brings me to my next question. Um, because publishers come and go very quickly in this economy. It, it changes very quickly. It's much like record companies or any other online industry where you can download things. So why is it important for writers to work with different publishers? Well, I think that's obvious. <laughs> if one of your publishers goes under and all your books are with that publisher, well, that's like the equivalent of getting laid off. Suddenly there's no income whatsoever and your books are, you know, depending on what the situation with the publisher is, you might have to wait a little while to get your rights back and to be able to re-release them either through another publisher or self-publish them. So, I mean, that's one of my biggest fears. I would be scared to death of uh, putting all my work with one company, especially if it wasn't one of the majors. Now, that obviously was a leading question before everyone was like, what an asshole. Who's this guy? And like, why is it important? It's obviously it's important to work with different publishers, but have any of you had experiences where you've had work with a publisher that's gone under that you know you could sell and you want back? What do you do? I've, I've, I've been pretty lucky because I was with Leisure when they went under, but um, I saw the rats jumping from the ship, so I got in early and asked for rights reversions, and they gave it to me, but my book wasn't doing great anyways. I had four books with Leisure, and they released them all. But people who waited a little longer to see what would happen, they got caught up for years in a clusterfuck of whatever. Um, and some of them actually landed very well on their feet because the package that was sold from Leisure went over to um, something 49th or Amazon somehow. And those authors are actually making really good money from their dead Leisure books, the ones that were chosen to go along that way. And so part of me is kicking myself that I pulled my books because I could have been part of that sweet ride. And now I'm in, uh, well, I've been with, 
Uh, someone called me on the weekend, uh, the, the, the bird in the mine or the singing bird or whatever, because I seem to always be with publishers who die. Um, I, I can name about six. Um, but so now I'm going through Samhain Horror Hell. Um, our books, uh, Samhain, we got a letter again yesterday, but we're, that's a strange limbo because they announced they were going under. Then they said, um, oh, they, they might have a way to not go under, maybe someone's going to buy them out. But then now we're at a point where, no, all these things didn't pan out. Um, we've been told that officially. And so now we're just waiting for everything to die. But in the meantime, they continue to have our books for sale in hopes that, you know, we're all going to make some money while things are dying. But I have a feeling no one's buying these books because they know Sam Hain's dying. And even though all of us authors are crying and starving, um, you know, the consumer just knows that there's a company that's dying and they don't want to touch it. And, and it's frustrating and hard. And for me, I have three novellas with Sam Hain, but, you know, and I have a, a, you know, a lot of friends and writers and stuff who had several books with Sam Hain. And I told them, like last year, diversify. I, and I, this is what I tell um, my chapter, always diversify. Because um, even with me, so I have three novellas with Sam Hain, but I have books with Riverdale uh, Avenue books. Um, I have books, I just pulled on my leisure things from Nikon books and put them over at Crossroads because leisure wasn't performing how I felt they should. And yeah, so you just keep playing the game. You just keep putting stuff everywhere because shit happens, man, and you want to stay covered. So you want to diversify, but what's the best way to get interest from another publisher? So you've got something out there and you have a feeling the ship's sinking. How do I approach another publisher and say, you know what, I'm I'm hot shit, I've got something else coming out. What what should you do to get them to get their antenna up? Well, one thing like what's happened with Sam Hain because now we have Facebook and the internet and stuff, which wasn't around with the leisure sinking ship. Um, so with Sam Hain, uh, the minute that first email went out about the sinking ship, um, me as well as some other authors who you know, um, have been around for a while. We all, we've all, I've been approached by four different publishers to take my Sam Hain list and have been invited to write for them too. However, as far as I know, none of these publishers are going to pay me in advance. So <laughs> I'm still back to that whole <laughs> situation. Like if anyone wants to give me an advance, I'll write for you like right this minute. Does What's that website address? Separatejerome.ca. G-I-R-O-N. But yeah, um, and so if you're already published and people know that publisher is going under, the radar is up, so you don't have to signal to people um, because they will already be aware. And like sharks coming to the chum, they want these authors because you've proven that you can write and have been published. And then now if they take a new book from you, you've got your backlist too, right? So it's not as horrible as it seems when something goes under if you've been published it's just that waiting game to get the stuff that's stuck in limbo now if you're prolific like I am where I write a book a minute or whatever then it doesn't really matter but if you're a person that takes five years to write a book it's really gonna suck <laughs> uh, you know if you take five years to write a book I think you're taking your chances <laughs> so for new and aspiring writers um Knowing that that small publishers are a, a tenuous game, um, what's the best advice for for them to be signing a contract to get their rights back if that publisher goes under? 
Well, Any advice for that? The thing with Sam Hain, um, and when I signed with them, like I said, these were novellas. Um, you know, I'm not married to them. I, I loved writing them, but I did see that seven-year contract. That's what we have with Sam Hain. They hang on to our shit for seven years, um, which is longer than any other publisher I've ever been with. I mean, some of them only keep it for a year or whatever. Um, so that, that was crappy. So my advice is read your contracts. Don't have it seven years. Make it like three if three maybe or whatever you can you know if you have an agent even better because they can negotiate on your behalf or even just pay someone to pretend you, that you're your agent and uh yeah it's not like someone that just shows up like, yeah in a, in a suit and a shitty tie and is like right. oh hey especially oh. when you're from canada who the hell's gonna know <laughs> you know <laughs> who's gonna know waka yeah. waka here i am i'm the writer's agent who wants yeah. what so don't so just try try and keep those you know the rights reversion thing clause keep it just for a couple of years keep it so that um also like if the publisher goes under um your agent can look at various things because like right now like i said i didn't pay attention to same hand contracts so i'm on this ride for years probably uh but some people in because i'm in a same hand secret group some people uh, were smarter or more savvy or whatever word you want to use and they have things like no that the minute they stop selling paperbacks whatever it comes back or whatever so there's ways you can tinker with the contract so don't sign your rights away don't sign away your film rights you can go sign them 50 50 because um i i often do 50 50 i've never had a film offer in my life um and I yet yeah but i i don't mind the 50 50 because if it wasn't for the publisher publishing me the film people wouldn't know who I am. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's my common. attitude. That's my attitude. Some people say, "No, you you thought it all up. You should get a hundred percent." But you may not get a contract if you. If yeah, you yeah and you're and you're not the one that does everything that generates that actual film. Exactly. So I mean, I think that's totally fair. So I think our final question for this episode is can you have a full-time job and succeed as a writer and I'm going to start with asking Crystal. Uh, absolutely because I finished my first novel having a full-time job so I think it's really about carving out the time and just sitting down and writing it. That's all there is to it. Well not all there is to it but you just have to do it. What were those days and nights like where you were working full-time but you had something in your head that you wanted to get out there and you knew had to be published? It was difficult. It was hard. I mean ultimately I had to keep in mind that this day job was paying the bills um, so that I could do that in the evenings um, and some days you know I definitely wanted to quit and I since then have quit but <laughs> you know um, success yeah, thank you <laughs> not that you know not that the job was bad or anything but um, uh, you know it's just I want to be writing fiction um, so it really came down to just carving out those hours in the evenings and giving up weekends and and doing it it I, I will say it's a it's a weird thing to wake up on Saturday morning and think, you know what? I've got a deadline. I've got yeah. to write about a you know vampire mermaid in a circus. Right. And it needs it needs to be done. <laughs> to try and meet this deadline. And it's all self-imposed or, you know, too, right? Like yeah. it's, or at least in my case. So you give up a you give up a lot of stuff. And if that's what you want, then that's what you need to do. And and I think there's absolute value in it because I have a novel and that's pretty pretty cool exactly yeah. did you ever cheat um, and sit at work <laughs> and be like you know what I'm opening this window and I am going to 
write some book. So my my job was pretty awesome in that I I, I was <laughs> I was already working from home, um, and as long as I got the work done, um, there was you know no sort of repercussions if I happened to open a file and and work on on a chapter or two. Um, to be honest, it didn't happen very often because I was very busy, um, but it definitely, for sure, happened. <laughs> now I'm going to turn to Monica, who um, obviously has been incredibly busy editing Rumorg, um, participant in organizing Dark Carnival coming up this summer. No. No, no. I don't work on that show, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, we've got a whole team that does that. I I have very little to do with that other than coming up with a uh, literary panel or two. But you do have a full-time job, and you are obviously a writer with, with a large fan base that's anticipating the release of, of your print novel coming out soon. Um, what, what sort of balance... What sort of uh, and toddlers and and a toddler yeah. and tiny human? Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you balancing all of this and still moving ahead? Because I think that with a writer to be happy, you have to constantly be writing and moving forward and seeing seeing your successes. And part of your success can just be writing a story. It doesn't have to be published. But how are you balancing uh, writing and publishing? These days, it's very slow. And uh, I, I've had to sort of say, you know, it's okay that right now it's very slow because my daughter is only going to be that young once. Yep. And, you know, in a couple more years, she's going to start school and then things will change. But even before she was born working full time, and I, I wrote about a novel a year. That's about my speed. Um, I've often said if I wasn't working full-time, I could probably do about three a year. I'm not a fast writer. I'm not a fast editor. I'm one of those people that really kind of, you know, pulls their hair out o out over every paragraph and every word. And, it, you know, it comes slow and hard, but I really enjoy doing it. Um, my big sacrifice is I gave up my social life. I have friends that I... I've lost friends because I just stopped going out. But it was... It was if you're working full time and you've got you know responsibilities at home with your family, and then you're going to get up every morning at four thirty or five a.m. to get you know two or three hours of writing in before work. Well, you're not going to go to the bar in the evening because ten o'clock's going to hit and you're going to fall into bed and uh, be out like a light. So you know I think that for a lot of writers who, unless you're really really pr prolific and you're able to write fast, I think for a lot of writers who juggle full time jobs and a writing career, you know they're sacrificing something else in their life. And for me, I wasn't willing to sacrifice my relationship. So for me, it was, yeah, you know what? I don't really go out to bars. I don't really go out to concerts. I don't go out to everybody's events anymore. I have to choose the special events that I can, you know, you know, show up at for my friends and make appearances at. And yeah, you know, I'll be honest, it did lose me some friendships. You know, some people probably think I'm a pretty big jerk at this point because I kind of vanished off into my own little, you know, writer hidey hole. But sometimes if you really, you know, you have a dream, you got to do those hard things to you chase that dream. And you got to, you know, and then you can't really whine too much about the consequences when they come because, you know, chasing your dream and, you know, sort of putting your hand up and waving bye-bye to certain parts of your life are going to come with consequences. I see a lot of head nodding right yeah. now. <laughs> oh, my life, yeah. For the I, listeners, there's a lot of nodding. Yeah. I'd have a lot more friends if I wasn't a writer. 
because they don't, it's like you say, you know, there's book launches and this and that, and it's like, I'm sorry, I want to support you, but it's an hour there, an hour back, and then two hours at your thing, that's four hours I, I need yeah. to be putting on my book. Because part of being prolific is actually sitting down and friggin' writing it. <laughs> it's, oh, you're so prolific, Sephiroth. Well, it's because I have no life. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's even worse now that I have a baby because yeah. now the, there's such a limited amount of hours in the week. And it's like, I want to be writing when those limited yeah. hours and are I around. And I was really involved with my children, too. And the, yeah, yeah, and so it's like, okay, I can pick, you know, yapping on the phone to a friend for an hour. Or I can pick working on my novel that I want to send to Leisure one day. And maybe one day I'll get published. But I think yeah. there's... there's certain sacrifices that you make because you should and I think this conversation has really evidenced that I mean if you're if you're a new parent you set aside certain goals and aspirations knowing that you're going to come back to them yeah. and you will come back I'm proof yeah. <laughs> there is life it, you, after you baby can, you can keep going you can keep going I mean, there's, there's going to be a couple of years of diapers and excitement but there's I mean, that's, that's the, the only time that you can do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're, they're only babies once. That's right. Mine so are that's in their 20s now. Important. I can't believe it. Zombie Zach, any final words? Yeah, what they said. Perfect. Because <laughs> you work full time. You work a couple of full times. You don't, I don't even know how you write anything because you work seven days a week, nine to five or whatever you work. Uh, well, yeah, it's usually an average of 10-hour days working, um, all seven days. Uh, I don't sleep much. Four hours of sleep is usually good. So for advice for up-and-comers is trucker pills? Yeah. No, no, no. Cookies, cola, and... Cocaine. It all comes from the same thing, cocoa. Triple C. <laughs> Triple C's I, I wish I could write on four hours sleep. I, I don't know, think anyone would want to read anything that yeah, came out of me either. on four sleep hours so sleep. That's what the editing process is for. <laughs> but I definitely need more more than yeah. four hours sleep to edit. Yeah, to yeah, I could write on four hours sleep, but to edit I need about seven or eight. <laughs> it's a lot more brain power. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode, Diversifying Yourself as a Writer. Thank you to all of our guests that that have joined us for this panel. And uh, in just a minute, you're going to hear about some upcoming events where you can meet, interact, hang out, and buy things from HWA Ontario writers. Yes, um, where we will be next is at Niagara Falls Comic Con in June, June 3rd to 5th. And in July, there's Dark Carnival in Hamilton, July 9th to 10th. And then in July, some of us will be heading down to Rhode Island for Nikon, uh, July 21st to 24th. In September, Labor Day weekend, come to Fan Expo. It's going to be a madhouse, and it's the last convention Stan Lee's ever going to do. So come on by the HWA booth, September 1st to 4th in Toronto, Fan Expo. Uh, we, word on the street this year is on September 25th, and it's word on the harbor front because it's down at the harbor front. NHWA will have a booth there. And uh, the last thing we have scheduled, as far as we know, but that certainly can change, is Horrorama October 8th and 9th in Toronto as well. Until next time, bite me or bite somebody else. Be happy. <laughs> <laughs>